Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today is going to be a bit of a different episode because I'm bringing on another guest who I had during my launch about six months ago. And she did a fantastic episode. We recorded a second one that was longer. It's coming from a woman who has been through the trenches and come out through the other side. And she's in a strong place individually. She's in a very strong place in a relationship. And so she's going to give some tips and things that'll help both him and her. So both you and your partner to know how to navigate these very difficult stages and and process things as they come up in your relationship and for you individually. So I'm really excited to have TC back on. Her name's TC Jolly. And so I want to jump into the episode right now and let you hear these tools that she's sharing. And hopefully you walk away with some kind of a nugget that you can apply in your relationship today. So TC, again, super happy to have you on the podcast here. I think that so many people need the guidance and the direction of how to move forward and to see people who have actually moved through it. Not that it's like, uh, it's not so much of a, you know, check the box kind of a process. It's, it's a, it's a journey. And so to see people who are further down along their path, who have the stability and the safety and the connection in their relationship, it's so, so helpful to be able to hear what helped those people get there. So those who are listening in the early stages can model that. And so I'd love it if you wouldn't mind just taking a few minutes, just sharing a bit about your background and your story so people can get a sense of the fact that you know exactly what so many people are already going through now. And then we can kind of move forward as far as what helped you move into the path further along. Sure. So I am um, a mother of three and they're all teenagers, 13, 15, 17. Um, in my mind before 2007, when I found out about my husband's sex addiction, I looked at us, obviously my kids were younger back then as a pretty stable, secure, you know, I don't want to use the word perfect, but kind of the perfect family. Mm -hmm. I, I saw, I saw myself as anytime there were any issues in the relationship, just the small ones that might came up, come up. I, I assumed that it was my issue and I put put blame on myself because I struggled with my own things. I have an eating disorder and I've had that since I was a young teen. And so anytime anything felt off, it was really easy for me to shift the blame on myself. And um, so until then, and I don't know how many listeners can relate, I just thought everything was perfect and everything was great. And I was just so lucky and I had no idea what was about to hit. Mm-hmm. So in 2007, um, the reality of my marriage, the truth of that came out. And I remember my husband actually um, confessed to me with the help of an ecclesiastical leader that came knocking at our door that particular day. And I had no idea what was about to hit. And as my husband read this letter of confession, it was just what I call it, um, he had tears streaming and he was having such a hard time getting getting it out and sharing it with me. And I was sitting across this coffee table. I just remember sitting across this table, staring at him as he was reading me this letter and um, not believing that he was talking about us because I had no idea. I had no brothers, so I was pretty naive to pornography. I definitely was naive to the concept of a sex addiction. Um, And he just continued to read this letter. And I remember when he got done, I got up and I don't know if I feel shame because of what I did now looking back, but I walked to the other side of the coffee table and I sat next to him and I put my hand on his back 
and he was crying. And I said to him, that must have been really hard to share with me. Um, Thank you. And the reason why I say I feel a little bit of shame is because it was totally contrary to what I was feeling inside. <laughs> right? I, I was just trying to process this and take it in, and it felt really um, abnormal to walk across the coffee table or walk around the coffee table and give him a hug and thank him yeah. for shattering my world right. and my reality. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, when I first heard you tell that story, somebody else had interviewed, I was listening to the recording, I remember like I was I remember what like it was so impactful when I heard this because I remember in my kitchen I audibly said the words what <laughs> like I couldn't believe it not that say that I was like bad or right or wrong it wasn't any of those things but it was so different than what I would have anticipated and you're well, saying you you're didn't actually feel one. that right you didn't exactly. actually yeah can you speak a little to like what did that feel like for you when you found out about this so my be- my best explanation is that I've heard other people refer to experiences as an out-of-body experience. It almost yes. felt like I was sitting back watching the scene from a different point of view. And I feel like I watched myself stand up mm-hmm. and walk over. My, my ecclesiastical leader was still sitting in the corner of the room. It was kind of weird. And, <laughs> and, um, and I just – I put my hand on his back. And then the next thing that, that hit me was – I, I, so I live in Arizona and it was in July. So it's a million trillion degrees outside. And I actually said out loud, um, and it was evening. So my, my young kids were in bed and I said, I'm going to go out and get some fresh air. And, um, I grabbed my cell phone, which was like a tiny flip phone back then. Mm -hmm. And, um, my husband said, as I grabbed my phone, he said, Oh, I should probably let you know that your mom and your dad already know about this and they have for years. And I remember without even thinking, I set my phone back down. I wasn't planning on calling them. I was still processing, but I set my phone down and I walked out and I felt so alone. Like my phone was my, my phone was somehow a symbol that I still had people that I could count on. But when I heard that, and I'm really close to my parents and we still have a great relationship. We've worked through a lot of this, but I just felt so alone. And I went and I sat on the driveway and it was probably 110 degrees. And I just, it was dark and I just was alone, like alone. I've never felt that alone. And I just, I want, and I just say that because I just know that probably so many women can relate to just that feeling of everything is just different in one split second. Yes. And I think it's just, uh, especially if you had no idea what was going on, you had no idea that this was happening, and then to find out that your parents knew and you didn't, mm-hmm. like, complete sense of, I'm by myself in this. Yeah, totally. And I remember as time went on, especially the first couple of years um, after finding out, I really found myself lost in my husband's addiction. And what I mean by that is I was constantly reacting to his addiction. I was constantly um, feeling like the shoe was going to drop at any second. Um, I was living on this ledge of anxiety all the time, just fearful. I had I had lost myself in a sense of trying to fix him, trying to be more sexual, trying to be more, right. more skinny, trying to be sure. anything that I felt that was driving him to, to – lust at other women, I was going to be that and fix that, which we all know, or maybe we don't all know, but now I know that 
that is impossible. It is an impossible feat. But I was determined to fix him. Like I took it on as my problem. And that and that went on for a couple of years, maybe even more than that. And it was it was not until I was just so broken in doing that. And it took me years that I realized I can't do this. And one of the biggest healing things for me was I had kept this all secret. Even though my parents knew, I never talked to them about it because I felt like they chose his side by not telling me. (laughs) So they they were off the list of people I could confide in. And so I carried it by myself for probably five years. And um, eventually I got to a place where I couldn't do that anymore. I just couldn't keep it inside. I had to let other people in. And I found this crazy group of women that were going through the same thing I was, and they were getting together for like a, a weekend in a in Payson, Arizona, staying in a cabin. And I decided I'm going with these people. And I didn't know one single one of them, but that's how desperate I was. I was like, I can't keep doing this yeah. by myself. And that weekend was so healing. I realized the power of reaching out. And the one thing that I try to pay attention to is, am I reaching out to hurt my husband or am I reaching out to help myself? Mm -hmm. And when I was reaching out to hurt my husband, I tried to stop myself and pull it back because maybe that person wasn't a safe person, but they would hate my husband with me. They jump on that bandwagon. And when I reached out to people to help myself, they were people who could love me and empathize with me, but still, and support me, but still have space for my husband, which is in the end what I needed. I didn't need a bunch of people to hate my husband with me. I wanted that for a while, but so that was one of the biggest turning points in my recovery was finding other women and, and not even necessarily women that go through the same thing, but just reaching out to a sister or a friend, um, I, for me, I was so afraid to do that at first because I didn't want to betray my husband. I didn't want people to judge him in some ways. I didn't want people to not let my kids come over and play with their kids because they were afraid of my husband or I was just, there was a lot of fear. But when I got over that, the healing really started. That was when I was able to progress. And through that, I was able to recognize that my behaviors of fixing my husband were just hurting me. They were they were hurting me and I was losing myself. I wasn't the mom that I wanted to be. I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. And so the healing journey started with me asking myself questions like, what am I feeling? Why am I reacting this way? What do I want to do? I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror before I went to bed every night and be happy with who I was becoming and how I was healing. And I really had to set my husband aside for that part of my journey. I had to stop worrying about him and just focus on me, which is, I think is really hard for a lot of women. Sure. And I, I, one of the things yeah. that I wanted to ask you quickly is, mm-hmm. was there a moment in time where like, was it like a light bulb moment where you thought, I can't actually fix him. I need to worry about me. He has to work on his stuff, but I've got to focus on me and I want to be the best version of me that I can be. Was there a moment where that became realized or was it more of like a progression of things? I think it was a progression. And I also think the toll of trying to do it for so long with no 
positive outcome. Like he wasn't changing his, his patterns weren't getting better. And so I think the defeat of that in some ways, um, I would like to say that it was like this aha moment where it came from like a really great place, but I think it came from a place of like, I can't keep doing this. I have to figure something else out kind of a moment for me. Yes. Anyway. Yep. And I, again, I think it's super important to point out because like you said, you can't, you were determined to fix them, but you couldn't. And I think it's so important for the women, especially to understand that the reason why they can't fix their husband is because they didn't cause it in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? That just that realization or the learning of like, I can't do this because it's this isn't actually my fault because I know many women yeah. feel blamed. Exactly. Well, and, and honestly for me, and I don't know if it's like this for every woman, but I know it is for a lot of women, is that the time in our husband's life when this typically started was on average, it's before they know they even knew us. And so logically being able to do that math, it's like, okay, I didn't cause it. But I, you know, I think for me, I had this expectation that I could fix it because I was now his sexual partner and I could fix it. Like I could just fix it. This is in my power. And but then I, I did realize as I learned more about the addiction and I educated myself more that this it's not about what it seems to be about. It's not necessarily about the sex. It's not about the way I look. Like it's a, a hole that they need to fill because they're, they're missing something and it has nothing to do with me as a, as a woman. And I remember doing a project that was called what I wish my younger self knew about this addiction. And I, and I gave advice to my younger self. And one of the main things that I said was you did not cause this. You cannot fix this. This is not yours. I think that's so important for people to really, really hear and understand because it's, it's 100% true. I've seen it over and over again. So I'm glad that you're sharing that with people who are listening. So what would you say then to people who are kind of in the same place, these early stages of trying to figure all of this out, trying to get themselves in a place where they feel stable, uh, what would you say to the women who are wanting to move forward and heal, but just don't know where to begin? So I would say one thing I wish I would have done sooner, because it did drag out for years, is realize I cannot fix this. And so the sooner they can get to a place of, I cannot fix this. As that goes away, that idea, that concept goes away, new concepts come into our brains and our emotions, which is, okay, what can I control? And it's, I can control me. And even though, like, I believe, I sometimes hate when I hear, no one can make you feel that way. Because I'm kind of like, well, I love <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I love them. I'm with them. Right. Like we, it's not a codependent thing. It's no. that I love my kid. And when my kid does this, I feel, I have feelings about Definitely. it. Or when my husband does this. So I, I don't love the phase like no one can make you feel that way. Because you, I mean. We influence with, our as, partner for sure. For sure. For sure. So I would just urge women who are at the beginning of this to to take a moment and maybe ask these hard questions that you might not like the answers to, but what is in my control? What is my responsibility? What, how can I contribute to my own healing? Because all of my healing at the beginning was based off of his actions. So I was not healing at all. And so it's like, if he had a good day, I had a good day. If he slipped up, my life was over and we were never going to heal. And, and, or if I worst, if I found out that he was lying to me, which is the worst of all worst, yes. I, 
you know, I just, I, I had no hope and I was, it was black and I wouldn't get out of bed. And I was lucky if I, you know, if my, my kids would just be in their diapers and if I changed their diapers throughout the day, then I was winning at life. Like that was sure. the level of, of living I was Definitely. doing, which is, which is survival. I mean, it, it's yep. normal and I don't think anyone should beat themselves up for that, but um, to focus on what is in my control was huge for me. And I wish I would have realized it sooner than I did. Cause I had a lot of hard years, um, based off of his actions and his recovery and living in that world of if he had a good day, I had a good day, but I didn't really have a good day because I was terrified the whole time. Right. Always thinking about it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it plagues people mentally. I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he was five minutes late from work, where was he? You know, that's right. terrifying. Yep. So it's just, and I couldn't live like that anymore. So I would say in some ways, and I think it's counterintuitive, or at least it was for me, is focus on yourself. Focus on yourself, whether that looks like therapy, um, group therapy, uh, a 12-step program, um, something along those lines. Heal yourself as much as you can. And it's weird because I'm still living and I'm still coexisting with this other person. So it's, it's emotional still emotions are still there, but I had to redirect myself all the time, focus on myself, focus on my healing, meet with my therapist for what I can do with for myself that's separate from the addiction. And we'll get to that later. And it's, it's really hard to put off, but that's kind of wish, what I wish I would have known early on. No, I think that's so important because I think it, it can completely consume somebody's life and their mind to wonder about what's my husband doing? Is he telling me the truth? And it's it's so overwhelming. So I think that's such good feedback to say, there are things that I can control and there's things that I cannot control. And the ones that I can, like, how am I responding? Am I taking care of myself? Mm-hmm. Am I being there and and giving myself the support that I need and getting support from other people? Being able to do that creates that stability that allows you to keep moving forward and and, and find your way. Because without you being in a good place, it's so hard to do anything else. Exactly. That so, was said perfectly. Okay. So good. I'm glad that resonates then. I hope that people can, uh, in early stages, can take that and start to apply that. Yeah. My next question is, what is it that you feel like in terms of the relationships, you're talking about individual healing is focusing on you, which I think is such good advice. Secondly... And many times people think they have to, they have to just kind of wait to do any work to rebuilding the relationship. And the problem is that if you live with your spouse, you can't just kind of like ignore them. You still have to communicate, right? You still have kids that you're raising. You still have all this going on. So there does need to be some attention on the relationship in terms of starting to create stability. And yes, there's a timeline for all of that. So for you, when you felt like you were ready to start to address that piece and your husband was open and willing and started to learn how to do that, what would you say some of the most important things that he did to help rebuild that safety, start to create some stability, rebuild trust? What did he do to contribute to that? Absolutely. So um, I remember going to therapy and when we got to that place where I felt like I was ready, he felt like he was ready. We started going to marriage counseling and the counselor really encouraged us to do daily check-ins and accountability, which totally made sense at the time. And for where we were at, that worked for us. And, but I remember it was 
all, all about the addiction. I felt like every response and every question was about the addiction. And there was a part of me that was so overwhelmed and so sick of everything being about the addiction that I remember asking my husband, and this is, this is something that was, had nothing to do with the addiction, but was so healing for me. And um, I don't know if most listeners know what postum is. Most old people know what it is because it's <laughs> like a old fashioned drink. It's like a it's like a warm drink that you drink in the morning and or at night. But I loved it in the morning, and I would make myself postum every morning. And um, I asked my husband one day. I said, well, I told him. I said everything that we're doing to heal our relationship is based on almost a knee-jerk reaction to something. If this happens, we have to do this. If this happens, 24 hours to tell to be honest. If this happens, this. And right. it just felt like everything was cause and effect and reaction. And I, was, I wasn't okay living like that all the time. And so I asked him, will you do this for me? Will you start making my postum for me every day? And I didn't realize what I was asking for at the time. But what it meant to me as he started consistently doing it every day. And even the first time I went out of town, he took, he made it and took a picture of it and sent it to me that morning. And it just meant Mm. that he had space for me, that he was open, that he thought about me and could take time for me. And that also that he could be consistent with something. And that, that was it's very healing in our relationship. And I think he's been doing it for maybe over five years now. Like this morning I woke up next to my bed was a postum, hmm. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's become a thing that speaks so much to me now, more than I ever realized when I first asked him. So I would say if there is something that a wife who is living in that space of everything is cause and effect, everything is reactionary, maybe pick something out of the norm that can be a daily, um, I'm where he can prove that I'm thinking about you on a daily basis. Like I'm taking this five minutes every day and thinking about you. And it does something to, to us women. It, it does something to us. And it's a good thing that, it, you know, it's a positive thing that it does to us. And the other thing that was so important to me that um, sometimes I think is a little cliche was the honesty. And of course, honesty is in all relationships, you need honesty and trust to thrive. Sure. But when he would start to be transparent about things that he didn't necessarily ever need to tell me about because I wouldn't know either way, whether it was his day at work, um, road rage, getting cut off, you know, whatever it might sure. be that, that triggered his emotions, he was starting to share those things with me. And addiction-related and non-addiction-related, I sat back and watched as he became – a transparent person in our relationship. And even though I didn't know if he was always telling the truth, because, you know, you don't always know, the consistency of the transparency made it so I could bring my walls down. And then I realized I want to be more transparent. I want to be more like he's being in our relationship. I want to tell him about my day. He tells me about his day. And those walls gradually, gradually came down. And I'm talking... I don't want anyone to get the impression that this happens in like a 30 day of getting right. a postum every morning. Like this took, <laughs> right. <laughs> it took years, you know, it takes years. Um, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start on day one sometime. Yes. And then, and then it might take a year. It might take two years. It might take three years, but that consistency is so huge 
in healing for me and for many of the women that I've, I've talked to, if, if husbands can, can bite the bullet and do the hard thing, cause we realize it's not easy. It's not easy. But if you can be honest with your spouse and transparent, healing will happen in your marriage. It just will. I've seen it thousands of times and it, it never does more damage than the dishonesty or the hiding does. That does the most damage. I think that's so important. I think especially that last piece that you said, it's the dishonesty, it's the deception. That's what breaks the marriage down. That's one of the main reasons when I see women leave relationships, it's not usually because of what the husband did. It's because of how he covered it up and continued to cover it up. That exactly. seems to be one of the major things that, that causes that breakdown. So I, again, I love what you're saying in terms of being transparent, being honest, which I know is not easy. How, uh, how would you, when he shared with you, because I know sometimes many of the guys are afraid if I share something with her, it's going to cause more damage. Therefore, I'm just going to keep this to myself. I'll try to work on it on my own. So you're saying that regardless of what he's sharing, you would rather hear the truth, even if it hurts. Absolutely. Because the, the thing is, and the first, you know, dozen times that he did it, he did not get a positive response. But I feel like, you know, I would get mad, I would cry, I would throw things, I would, I would be in pain, and I would react like someone in pain. Sure. Um, But when we, I look at it as like this, and my husband has explained it like this, is when we give a gift to someone, we don't give it for their reaction. We don't, if I gave someone a cake and I walked up and I baked them a cake for their birthday and I gave it to them and in front of me, they said, thank you. And then went and threw it in the garbage right mm-hmm. then. I'm not giving the gift to have a reaction. I'm giving a gift because I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel seen and whatever, if throwing that, that cake away makes them feel that, even though it wouldn't be the response I would actually anticipate, it is it, it's coming from my heart. And so because of that, they can do w- with it whatever they want. And that's kind of the same thing with honesty is you really might not realize it. And I'm speaking to the men here and I'm sorry if I'm oversimplifying. No, no, please. But, yeah, please. But you're not being honest for your wife. And if you are, that's not going to last. You're not going to be able to endure honesty all the time if you're doing it for your wife. You really are doing it for yourself and your recovery because you can't be in recovery if you're not telling the truth. So if your wife throws something or kicks and screams or if you're on the couch for a week, it's okay. You were honest. You're doing the right thing. And eventually, I promise you, eventually she will come around because as women, we react sometimes, but we do go back and think that was hard for him. He didn't have to tell me that. I never would have found that out. That was huge for him. And we can acknowledge that maybe not to you right away, but to ourselves. So we see that progress. We yes. see it and it, and one inch at a time, those walls come down. Which I hope when the men hear that, that's very reassuring because I know that sometimes when there is honesty, it, the reaction is it's there's a lot of pain there, especially yeah. if you're sharing something that's hurtful and it's unexpected. Like it's a difficult thing to do. It's very, very hard to share. But I, I love that you're echoing the idea that by sharing, you're actually starting to heal. You're you starting are. to create trust. I think sometimes many men misunderstand the idea that even if they share something that they've done that they're not proud of, or if they slip back into old patterns, you can start to rebuild trust as you share those things, because she's going to start to know, okay, if something happens, he's going to come to me. 
So we can yes. deal with it when he does, but at least I'll know I don't have to fish around. I'm not going to stumble upon anything. And that creates a lot of security, I think, for many A women. lot of security. A lot of security. And I also encourage men to have friends, to have recovery brothers if you're in a group therapy or if you go to like a 12-step meeting or because, and I and encourage that because when you, t- like when my husband needs to tell me something that's hard, he can go to his recovery brothers for that reassurance and that um, acceptance and that love that he might not get from me right away because I'm reacting and I'm not a robot. Like I am, even though I was a robot the night he told me about his addiction and I sure, went and gave him yeah. a hug, <laughs> typically I'm, I'm, I'm going to the fear of we're never going to make it. He's going to leave me. This is like, this is never going to go away. And so that's what he's seeing. But for the, for the empathy, there is a place for that. And until your wife gets there, it can be with your recovery brothers. It can be with your therapist. It can be, you can get that from other places because at first you might not get it from your wife. And eventually, eventually, at least in my experience, you will get that from your wife because now when my husband tells me hard things, addiction related or not, I am able to to be okay because I know I can trust him. Like, and that mm-hmm. is bigger than anything. It's bigger yes. than anything. I, I agree. I think in, to be in that place has got to be so reassuring, knowing that he's able to do that. You're able to work with him together, move forward. Whatever happens, you guys are able to process it together instead of having to deal with it on your own. It's got to be exactly. so reassuring. It is. And even just the anticipation that I'm freed of, of the, oh my gosh, is he going to come from work today and tell me this? Like it's, it's so freeing to, to know I don't have to worry about something until he tells me I have to worry about something. And until then I can live my life in a place of, of freedom. And then even when he tells me it doesn't feel debilitating anymore because we're together in it. Yes. TZ, this has been such a good, I've loved being able to spend the time with you and hearing you share your, your story and things that have helped you in hopes of being able to help other people. Thank you so much for being here. It's honestly been such a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Wait, before you go, I'm offering free access for my podcast listeners to a course I created. So make sure you go to coupleshealing.org so you can get some tools to start the healing process individually and in your relationship. Or if you want even more support and you'd like to work with me directly, you can contact me with the info that's on that website as well. I'm excited for you to make progress on your journey.